In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today's reading from Luke's Gospel is storytelling at its best. It's a dark and troubling parable full of warning. And it is told vividly. And it deals with the eternal fate of seven people. Seven, you say? I only remember Lazarus and the rich man. Well, there are, don't forget, there are the rich man's five brothers. Don't forget them. They are mentioned pointedly at the end. And the message of the parable is tied to them, the five brothers, still alive. And we ask ourselves, well, what will their fate be? We think we know. The parable, of course, is often called the rich man and Lazarus. And it is called that in the NIV. But you could make a case out for calling it the parable of the five brothers. Now the setting of the parable is important to note. In chapter 16 verses 1 to 13, first half of the chapter, Jesus told the story about the dishonest and shrewd manager who saved his future just as he was about to be sacked by getting his master's debtors to falsify their contracts with the approval of the manager so that they ended up owing the master less than they did originally. And in this way, shrewdly, the manager wins friends so that when he is terminated by his present master, he will find employment with the master's debtors, grateful for the action of the manager in reducing their debt. Now in that parable, Jesus bids his hearers, the disciples, to use what wealth they have shrewdly. Jesus says, use your wealth by making friends in heaven, which is a roundabout way of talking about pleasing God, so that when their wealth is gone, God will welcome them into his paradise. So that parable, in that parable, Jesus wants us to use our wealth generously. That's how we make friends in heaven. To give as much away as we can, as we're able. Not to be hard-hearted and tight-fisted, but to treat wealth as a means to alleviate suffering, to benefit the poor, and to do good to others. The trouble with money as I've mentioned many times over these last few weeks, and as Dan mentioned in that story he told, money can replace God in our loyalty and in our service. Money, friends, is cunning. Money is devious. One commentator observes on this passage, the only effective way to deal with money is to force it into the service of God by converting it from selfish ends to unselfish uses. Now, 
At our church here at Cherrybrook Anglican, we see the evidence of generosity. 25 years worth and counting. And God, we confess, knows the heart. He knows whether we're generous or whether we're hard-hearted. And we can be sure that generosity is a Christian virtue, much loved and approved by God. And you can take comfort from this parable. Now, Jesus' teaching the disciples by means of the parable of the dishonest manager, that teaching is delivered in the public arena. And there are Pharisees who overhear. And Luke says in verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Now perhaps they are called lovers of money because they regarded wealth as a sign of divine blessing. And now we come to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, verse 19 and following. And it is told initially to the money-loving Pharisees for their benefit. It is an indictment of their greed and lack of generosity, just as much an indictment of any greed and any hardness of heart on our part. Now I'm going to ask Michael and Daniel to show this next photo. You know, Google Images is a wonderful facility. And amongst hundreds and hundreds of images of the rich man and Lazarus, I chose this one. And it comes from a gospel book that was made in the first half of the 11th century, a thousand years ago. Now our parable concerns two people at the polar ends of the social spectrum. There is the rich man dressed in purple and in fine linen feasting sumptuously every day. Only the aristocracy, only kings had clothes of this quality and the use of purple. Now, I wonder if you know what purple is. Well, it's a dye extracted at great cost from the murex shellfish. Now, if you, want, if you were looking for a really terrible job in the first century, Extracting dye from shellfish would be one of them. We don't know the rich man's name, which is odd because he's obviously wealthy and important, dressed in his fine linen and purple. And then there is a poor man, a beggar named Lazarus, who lies, as you can see, at the rich man's gate. Now it's interesting that we know his name, Lazarus. And that name means something, as names always do in the Bible. And the name means God helps. 
Now, a greater contrast between the two cannot be imagined. Lazarus, as you can see, covered in sores. And he's not wearing very much. And he longs to eat what falls from the rich man's table. The bread with which the diners wipe their hands and then throw away. And the ultimate indignity, as you can see, is that the dogs, the wild dogs roaming around the town, come and lick his sores. My goodness, how awful is that? No person helps Lazarus. But God does help him, as we soon see. The rich man ignores him, and that's crucial. The poor man, Lazarus, dies. And he's carried by angels to Abraham's side. And those of you familiar with the King James Version, at that point it says, carried to Abraham's bosom. Well, no one's going to translate in modern English the word bosom, are they? And at Abraham's side, he's resting in paradise with Abraham while awaiting the final judgment. Now, Jesus had this place of rest in mind when he promises the penitent thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke's Gospel, Luke 23, verse 43. So resting and leaning against Abraham is an image of consolation and rest, of restorative sleep, of ease and comfort, of being safe at home. You know what that feeling is like? Lazarus might have had misery on earth. His misery might have been interpreted as God's affliction in this life for the few sins he has committed. But there is comfort and rest after death. We also know that the rich man dies and was buried. No doubt a sumptuous burial with reception to follow. But now he finds himself in Hades, the realm of the dead where there is torment. What a shock! On earth, he had nothing but well-being and ease and feasting and satisfaction. Surrounded by family and friends, the great and the good. But after death, he has pain and torture. Imagine him. Where are all my fine clothes? And my fine food. Not here. Where is my wife? Where are my children? Not here. Where are my friends? Not here. Where's Lazarus? Not here. 
But he can see Abraham and Lazarus far off at rest in paradise. So he cries out to Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this fire. Note the irony here. Send Lazarus. And he knows his name. And he thinks he can still give orders. And note Abraham's gentle response. Son, he says, as he underscores the changes that now govern their life beyond the grave, you received good things on earth, while Lazarus received bad things. He is now comforted while you are in agony. And besides, Abraham continues, I can't send him because there is this great chasm between you and us such that no one can pass across from either side. Bang! And the rich man can't argue the point. It's too late. But he can make one request. Send Lazarus, not to me, but to my five brothers to warn them lest they too come to this place of misery and torture. Still thinking that he can order people about. And Abraham's response is to say, Your brothers, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. No, Father Abraham, he says. No. That's not good enough. If someone were to go to them from the dead, then they would surely listen and repent. I speak from experience. Bitter experience. First-hand experience. What chance did I have? Well, that's the implication of what he says. And then Abraham's response in our final verse, verse 31. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Well, in Scripture, there is an obligation on the rich to be generous to the poor. It is an essential characteristic of the redeemed Israelite. And if generosity is absent, then that person has ceased to be in good standing with God. The rich would be generous, of course, if they truly gave heed to Moses and the prophets, if they listened to them. And that is Abraham's assumption. How many times does the law of Moses require us to care for the poor? Well, many times. And here is a photograph, or a slide, of a section of Deuteronomy 15. Here's the sort of passage that Abraham has in mind. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. 
If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land your Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Give generously. Do so without a grudging heart. There will always be poor people in the land, therefore I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. Many passages like this in the law of Moses. How many times do the prophets castigate their contemporaries for their injustices against the poor? Very frequently. All the prophets. Here's a passage from Jeremiah chapter 5. Among my people are the wicked who lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch people. They've become rich and powerful, have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Now please note that the rich man is not condemned for being wealthy. He finds himself in torment after death because he ignored the plight of Lazarus and neglected him. Lazarus was at his gate day after day while the rich man feasted daily on the finest of food and drink. Be careful what you live for. That's one message of the parable. But the other message is this. The warnings of scripture, Moses and the prophets, they are sufficient to jolt us out of complacency. How many times over the last 25 years have you been sitting here and been convicted by the reading of scripture to change your mind and your ways? When we repented, was it not because we heard the warnings of the Bible and of the preaching of his word? When you resolved as a young person to follow Christ, when you chose maybe later in life as a person baptised as a child to seek first his kingdom, was it not because you heeded the warnings and the message of the word of God? But we also know that we can cease to hear and respond. Even if someone were to rise from the dead and appear to them, Abraham says, that is not going to be sufficient to bring about repentance if they have ceased to hear the word. Now we know the truth of that observation. There was a man named Lazarus, coincidentally, who was brought back from the dead very publicly by Jesus in John chapter 11. How did the high priests in nearby Jerusalem respond to that event, to that miracle? Did they respond with belief? Did they respond with repentance? Did they change their mind? No. John 12, 11 says, 
They sought to have Lazarus killed. Was the resurrection of Jesus sufficient to overcome hardness of heart and deafness to the word of God? If you've read the first few chapters of the book of Acts, you'd have to say, no, they didn't. The same people who were responsible for crucifying Christ are those who persecute the apostles. So, friends, as I conclude, the rich man's five brothers are sleepwalking to their doom. Deafness to the word means they don't believe what it says, they don't believe the warnings, they don't hear it. But the truth is there in the pages of Scripture. The word of God is alive and active, says the author of the letter to the Hebrews. We, who have heard and acted, will rest beyond the grave with Abraham and Lazarus, with God's saints and confessors, and with all the people of God in every age, secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear.